Hey guys, and welcome to the Get Alive podcast. It's me, Bish, as always. We're doing this weekly again. We're getting back into the swing of things because of the situation that we're in in the world. I thought, you know what? Let's bring some entertainment. Let's bring some smiles. Speaking of smiles and smiley people, we've got Brad. G'day. How you doing? For those who don't know, Brad... Can you just introduce yourself to our audience? Certainly. So, uh, good day, everyone listening out there. My name is Brad. Uh, online, I used to go by Dioshi TV. Now I go by Bless RNG. I am the Bless RNG Global Emote, and as a presence, the community and influencer lead over at Kanga GG is what I do now as a day job. So, before we get into the main bulk of the discussion, I just wanted to thank everyone for listening, and also um, thanks to our sponsors, Crunchyroll, Japan Crate, and JList. So, let's get into the main bulk of the discussion uh for those who don't know brad you're australian right correct yeah if the if the good day didn't give it away i definitely am um i'm still based in australia i uh, always have been so i'm still chilling here now so where in australia do you like where are you from or where you reside like i'm from melbourne which is the southeastern kind of side of the country for those who don't know our geography so well uh, melbourne is one of the larger cities second largest one in the country um, i was born here and i've always been here okay so you're still here now at the moment i can imagine yeah yeah like uh, i don't really envision me unless i move to like japan or something don't really envision me leaving melbourne i really enjoy the city like the the culture is great the food is great the coffee is great coffee is a big thing for me uh, the music scene is great it's this kind of a fantastic place to be um plus in terms of australian events it's kind of the home of them the intel extreme masters is here melbourne esports open is here pax australia is here all the major gaming events are all in melbourne these days so i don't really envision me leaving I know this is going to sound a bit dumb because obviously I've been um, following you on Twitch for a while now. You're kind of like the first Australian person that I've ever spoken to, right? Because I didn't know how Australians sounded like. And I've realized that they're they're varied between different regions because we had another Australian last week on the podcast. So it's just like, oh, okay, Brad doesn't really sound as Australian as Australians, if that makes sense. That's true, yes. Like my mother's from Liverpool. So I have a bit of a weird kind of hybrid British-Australian accent. Uh, a lot of people uh, tend to point that out they're like you don't sound too australian i'm like oh i do you just uh you kind of don't hear it as much especially as i am from like more the southern side if you go up like north like queensland you'll hear the kind of typical nasally australian voice a lot more and you'll also hear it in regional towns as well uh, significantly more and especially in slightly older people it also i think it's a bit more prevalent but in in my particular case mine is very much this weird kind of in the middle slightly uncommon accent that you'll get initially i thought it was because you travel around a lot for work for your own personal work and you're here in america and you're going there and this place and that so i thought maybe that might have affected your accent a little bit it's good to know i really want to know how you got in to the whole streaming business right because i know before we mentioned that originally you were known as the yoshi but was there anything that preceded that how did you get into streaming and what was the idea like oh i'm gonna do this now for like a job like how does that work yeah sure so i've done a huge amount of i suppose involvement in these kinds of spaces over the years so for, for context i'm 32 now but the first ever event or convention i went to was the melbourne anime festival back when i was 14 or almost 20 years ago and i was volunteering at that by the 
the second day I went. I was having so much fun. I wanted to help and do like helpful things. And from there, I kind of went into writing for anime magazines. Then I did a couple of community television shows. So I did Tawoot Show. Then I did Level 3. And then after that, New Game Plus, which I was on for many years. Uh, when I was on New Game Plus for a while, I, I loved what I was doing. I loved the team there. But I really wanted to do something a bit more independent. And um, I wasn't really able to contribute to New Game Plus as much as I would have liked or as the team there would have liked for a variety of reasons. So we kind of, they, they, they told me it was time to go, but I was like, I think it's time for me to leave anyway. So we kind of mutually parted ways to love them a bit. Um, but since then I was like, I wanted something to do. And we'd started doing Twitch broadcasting on the TV show, like right before I left. And uh, I figured it would be something fun for me to really do. So as a result, I started doing it myself. Uh, my ex-girlfriend at the time was, or girlfriend at the time, ex-girlfriend now, was very supportive, helped me getting it all set up. And then I kind of kicked it into gear and had a brilliant time doing it for the first few months. And from there kind of elected that it was something that I wanted to continue doing. My day job at the time was working in retail, nothing too fancy. It was just kind of enough to get by. So I figured this is a cool thing to pursue. I should really delve into it and give my life a bit more direction. So I've been streaming pretty heavily since then. That was that was about, I'd say, six years ago. I started broadcasting now, I think. At least six, if not seven. Where the name came from, like Diyoshi, I, I don't know where that came from completely. I'm, I have a little bit of a um, feeling, but I don't know exactly. So if you care to tell us. Yeah, sure. It's a interesting name because uh, a lot of people think it is from Yoshi from Nintendo and they go, oh, it's the Yoshi from Nintendo, right? To which I respond, actually, it's not. I was a competitive Tekken 3 player for a little while, a competitive like Tekken player, and I was a Yoshi Mitsume. So I joined a clan, like an online clan at the time, and there was like, oh, there's already a Yoshi Mitsu player. You need to think of a new name. So I was like, Ah, oh, I don't know. I'm kind of edgy those days. I'll go with Dark Yoshi and go from there, and we'll, we'll use that. Then I added a second I to it just because I felt like it. Then I decided that I didn't really like that name, and my mother was really important to me at the time. My mother's name is D, so I shortened it, changed it to D Yoshi. I had a hyphen in there. Then I realized that a lot of stuff online doesn't accept hyphens, so it just became D Yoshi. So capital D, and then Yoshi, and then a second I. And then I just added the TV for the sake of being like, I'm a Twitch broadcaster, I should probably add TV at the end. So I became D Yoshi TV, and I rocked that moniker for many years. But D Yoshi itself was a, was a moniker I rocked for as long as I can remember. I, I think I changed from Dark Yoshi to D Yoshi when I was like 17 and I've just been I've been using that ever since it's interesting that you mentioned your mother I don't really want to go into much of your family life but I wanted to know because obviously working in this sort of industry in the games industry in general and streaming and whatnot how does that like you know because you started off quite young by the sounds of things how did your family react to it were they very supportive or were they like what the hell is this like what are you wasting your time because i've noticed that happens a lot with people in new entertainment mediums right uh it happened with me at one point so how does how did they react to that and how did you kind of get past that point if that did happen sure so with my father um he was a little bit apprehensive to be supportive but he loved technology and he it's thanks to him i got my passion for tech and gaming in the first place or rather, he gave me my passion for tech. My mother gave me my passion for gaming. My mother was a gamer. Oh, okay. She, when I had my, my NES when I was two, uh, it was for her. But I was able to play it as well. She was very much the kind of gamer party kind of person. My dad was a lot more grounded. So he was like kind of liking what I was doing, but didn't really understand how I was going to like turn it into any kind of career.
Korea. My auntie, who I live with on my dad's side, she was the one that was a lot more like, you're wasting your time, what are you doing? I don't understand. He spends all his day on the computer. This is, I don't get where this is going. Granted, they've obviously like since then been like, oh, I understand now because I you know, traveled more than the rest of my family put together and, and things like that. They very much acknowledge that, oh, okay, it makes sense. My mother was, was very supportive from the get-go, but she passed away 11 years ago. So she didn't really get to see almost any of my gaming stuff. She didn't see, uh, if basically any of it, she she caught the very start when I like just started writing for magazines. That's all that she kind of caught. Uh, didn't get to catch the rest of it, I'm afraid, but she was still into video games uh, and all of that. So when he, well, during my, like right when she was, right when she passed away, she was still playing games, still playing, uh, she loved the PlayStation 1. She played PlayStation 1 a lot. Even though there was the PS2 and things out by then, she still loved her PS1. So she was very supportive of what I was doing at the time. She had this interesting philosophy, a philosophy I try to keep as well, where I can, was to get involved in what your family is involved in. So I used to play trading cards. My brother used to play trading cards. So my mother played trading cards. We would all go to the trading card store as a team of three of us. We'd all play and have a great time and it was a really cool way as a family for us to bond. She was always interested in, in anything we were doing and would take a very active interest herself in whatever it was at the time. So my sister loved Pokemon. So as a result, my mother was a huge Pokemon fan and knew a lot more about it, knew more about it than I did. She was really involved in that kind of scene because she just wanted to get involved in what her family did. I'm very thankful to her willingness to be open and willingness to engage in stuff that me and my younger brother and sister were into. It really gave us a lot more even to express that kind of stuff in the household and just embrace it and have a good time. Kind of brings back a lot of memories for me. I know it's obviously your family, but I've, I would say I was in a similar situation. But it seems as if your relationship with your mother and your mother in general made you who you are today. Is that is that correct? I think it's a mixture of both of my family members. I like to say I kind of got the best of both of them. My mother gave me a huge amount of, I suppose, ability to relate to people and understand people and network with people. She was all about people and being interested and being open-minded and, and things like that. So I kind of got most of my personality from my mother's side, which I'm very thankful for. I got most of my interests though, except for gaming, from my father's side. My father loves language, he loves travel, and he loves tech and they are the three things I really enjoy. So I basically kind of got my mother's like work ethic, personality side of thing, and then my father's interests. So I really feel like I kind of got the best of both of them and I've tried my best to make the most of that and, and done, thankfully, rather well, thanks to, to both of their guidances in their own unique ways. I'm not going to go and say I had an amazing childhood. I had a pretty crummy childhood, all things considered. It was actually not that good for a variety of reasons, but they both tried very hard to give me a good upbringing and I tried my best to learn from both of them. I would say definitely Definitely most of my personality and most of what I'm thankful for is, is my mother's side, but my father was still very instrumental in me, especially in my later years now, having the experiences and interests that I have in the sense of like food, travel, language, all stuff that my father loved, but in his older years has not had the chance to do until very recently. Obviously you mentioned your father loving travel and obviously you like to travel as well, obviously for work and for pleasure. What would you say out of all the countries that you visited, what would you say is your old 
all-time favorite place and you'd be like yeah i would love to go there again well i go to japan every like every year for tokyo game show at a minimum i try to go there for like twice a year when i can for a few months at a time it's very much my favorite country to be in I, that's the language that i somewhat speak i have a lot of friends over there there's so much there to explore countless amounts of things you can do in japan i could be there for 10 years and not see everything not by a long shot it is 100 percent the country that i enjoy the most if i was to exclude japan from that it actually gets a lot harder the country which i enjoy the most and which i had more time to explore would be russia but the country i enjoy the most outside of japan would be singapore singapore is a place i love visiting when i can as well i've been there seven or eight times for various work related things back during my esports casting days and it's just a lovely place to hang out in the food is mega cheap there's heaps to explore heaps to do it's relatively safe I liked it quite a lot, but I do wish I had the chance to explore Russia more. That's the country that interests me the most, which I have already visited and didn't do enough in. Usually people don't say that. A lot of people are like US and Europe and France and stuff, but okay, that's interesting. Russia is definitely a different choice, but that's because again, I didn't really get to explore it a huge amount. I was only in Moscow for a few days, so I didn't even do St. Petersburg at all, things like that. So it's a country that interests me a lot that I've already visited. Another example, I guess, to go into Europe would be Germany. I've been to Germany before as well and I've only done Berlin over there. I'd like to do a little bit more. I've actually not been to anywhere else in Europe. Europe is the place I want to visit the most that I've not been to yet. You've not been to the UK? I have not, even though I have a UK heritage, I've not been over there. So it's a, a place I would definitely love to visit in a in a larger way, it would be like the greater UK slash EU area. The reason why I don't say the US is because I've actually been to the US a, a ridiculous amount of times now, I'd say almost 20 times I've been over there. And I'm always there for conventions, I've done quite a lot over there. I really only go there for conventions. There are a couple of cities over there which I love dearly. Seattle is fantastic. Austin is fantastic. Uh, Boston to an extent is pretty good. San Diego is nice. San Francisco and LA are expensive but nice. So there are a few places over there like I like a lot but I don't have a huge amount of interest in exploring a great deal over there. That said I've been to I think, I think it's 12 or 13 states in America. I've been to quite a few of them including like ones that you would not expect a traveler to go to. For example Ohio, Minnesota, North Carolina. I've been to a few of the lesser tourism-based areas and still really enjoyed them. Had a great time in Minnesota for GDQ. Ohio and North Carolina were ones I went to strictly for holiday purposes and still had a good time over there. But there wasn't a huge amount to do over there. Hearing, obviously, that you haven't been to the UK is surprising because there's a lot of conventions here. A lot of events take here, Eurogamer Expo, MCM Expo, Comic-Con, etc. So is the UK somewhere that you're planning to, to go to and make an appearance in the future? I'd love to. There's a lot of people in the UK who I want to visit, a lot of developers who I've made friends with over the years, such as like Capcom and Koei Tecmo and a few others who I would love to visit. I normally see all of those people when I see them at Tokyo Game Show and things like that. Uh, Europe is just very difficult to get to from Australia. It is a very, very painful flight. It's like a 35 hour flight. It's terrible. And in my case, I find generally because of my day job, I work with broadcasters. So I need to go where the streamers are. There aren't a huge amount of events that streamers really go to except for Gamescom. And it's kind of hard to find them at Gamescom because Gamescom is so big and they're kind of everywhere. So it makes going to Europe a little bit harder to justify, except for TwitchCon Europe. The the plan was, before all this COVID stuff happened, I was meant to be going to Amsterdam for a month, and I was going to be there for King's Day, TwitchCon Europe, and then Eurovision. 
But in between those shows, I was going to travel around a lot more of Europe. So my Europe trip was meant to be like now. It's where I am based on the time now. I would have been still in Amsterdam at this point in time or about to end my Europe trip. So it's kind of just that's the thing I'll probably do next year is do a huge Europe stint. To be honest with you, you were mentioning within that little um, that little part that you obviously have a lot of friends with other developers mentioned Capcom and also Koei Tecmo. I just wanted to know where you always a, a fan of um, Koei's games or was it like because it's very interesting because you don't see many streamers talk about Koei's games for the most part because they, they tend to get a lot of hate online or if there is any media coverage it tends to be for their more anime based games like the Attack on Titan game or more recently Fairy Tale, etc. So the first game of theirs I played would be Dynasty Warriors 2. Oh okay. Yeah, on the PlayStation 2. Uh, I remember loving that game when I first played it. So I've actually been a fan of their games for a very long time. I own, I think, almost every Dynasty Warriors in some way, shape, or another. If I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go in my garage and check for some of the older ones, but I definitely have been a, a fan of that IP and many of other of Koei Tecmo's IPs for, for long periods of time when they acquired Gust. I'm a fan of the Atelier games. I've still got Atelier Iris like 1, 2, and 3 here. I've got Mana Cameo around somewhere. So I'm a fan of their Gust games as well. Mostly it's their Omega Force stuff that I like those. So like the Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, Warriors Orochi, games like those are the ones of theirs I tend to enjoy more. I had a huge passion behind Talkin' when Talkin' came out. Played Talkin' very seriously and then Talkin' Kiwami for a long time. Didn't really get into Talkin' 2 though, unfortunately. Not from lack of interest, but from lack of time. It's kind of the game that's sitting on my PC that, you know, one day I'll go and experience the end game of, because I actually enjoy Talkin' a lot. It was very, very fun, but it didn't really take off as much as I hoped it would. But it is on PC, which is good, so I can play it on PC with my audience. You know what? I'll be honest with you about Talkin' and it's like, it's, it's very interesting because it was really popular on the Vita, but obviously the Vita's dead now, so it's like, is it still a game that Koei is gonna continue with? I'm not so sure of. But it's interesting, because there's not, like I said, there's not many streamers that are like Koei friendly if that makes sense it does there's not a huge amount when a new when a new warriors game comes out barely anyone streams it it's just like the the thing uh for whatever reason some do and they're getting with their pc ports being better than they were more people are streaming the warriors games i would say when they come out compared to previously i've not had a chance to play warriors orochi 4 yet i have it uh i have it i've had it i've had it since it came out but uh I've, it came out during a period of travel for me i've kind of missed video games for the last year and a half I've been traveling so much for work, I've not really played any. So I've been playing catch-up, huge amount of catch-up, and Warriors Rochi 4 Ultimate is on that list of games I need to catch up on. <laughs> It's a great game. I'm not going to lie to you. It's oh, that game is just amazing, um, especially after Dynasty Warriors 9. I know Koei might be listening to this and I'm sorry, Koei. I have to mention Dynasty Warriors 9 was a bit of a step down anyway. So it was a bit, but I still streamed it and I still I still, I still played like four or five character endings on stream. and I still had fun with it. I, I'm one of the few out there who was still like, I still had fun with Dynasty Warriors 9. It's still a fun game. It's very interesting because you mentioned the whole PC port thing. You think that's a barrier to streaming games like because I don't see see why can't people stream these games on the PlayStation 4 or on the Xbox One? Is it easier to stream via the PC or...? Oh, absolutely. It's such a huge barrier if a game is on PC or not. Because if it's on a console, you need to own the console as a first point. Most people, obviously, you need to own a PC. So no matter what, you need to own something, right? So as a base point on the console, that's great. But if you want to stream, yes, you can stream from the console. But people aren't going to really check your content out all that much. Discoverability is difficult. Growth is difficult. If you want to stream from a console in an effective way with like alerts and better quality microphone and scene transitions and all that stuff you need a computer as well 
which means then you need to buy a capture card to go from the PS4 to the PC. And it just gets more and more expensive. Whereas if you just have the PC, you can spend all that money on a significantly better PC and then just stream from the PC and use like the GPU for OBS and be able to play in a relatively good quality and still be fine. In my particular case, I have a two PC, like a dual PC streaming setup. So I can basically overload or throw everything at a video game, make the game look as good as possible. And then my stream sees it in the best quality that it can. See, that's very interesting because I didn't think it worked like that. I know it sounds really silly, but I'm not really into streaming in that sense or the technicalities behind it. I've noticed like if you go on certain companies, they're not sponsored by the way. So I don't know if I should mention them, but you see companies like Elgato, for example, they do their, their capture card for consoles and whatnot but they also sell these capture cards that go inside the pc what is that for like they do so i guess full disclosure here i am elgato sponsored so i'm an elgato partner so i use their products and have used them for a long time i think i own everything that they've made um some are bought some are given in the case of my internal one my internal card is a 4k 60 pro mark 2 which is the best one that they do so the idea is simply it goes into a pci slot on your pc you plug i plug my playstation 4 into that and then it just spits it spits out that image into my OBS or into any other streaming software like XSplit or OBS Live or Streamlabs OBS and simply transmits that signal and then I can overlay it with things on top like my own web camera or things like that. Okay, so I was under the impression because I didn't know how it necessarily worked in that sense. So you mainly use that for recording gameplay from a console like a Switch or PS4 or whatever. So how do you record the gameplay that's you're playing from a PC? Is it still with that capture card or is it like... Still with that capture card, correct. So with my gaming PC, I have multiple HDMI slots, right? And one of them I simply have going out into my capture card. And then my streaming PC will then have that image. So I have a... At home, I have a pretty overkillish setup i have five monitor setup and then my bottom right monitor is my high-end like 144 hz gaming monitor so i have it so that my 4k capture card captures that particular monitor on a different computer so that way that particular like my streaming pc has an input for my capture card for consoles and an input for my capture card for the pc it's the same capture card i just switch one hdmi cable where I can use like a KVM switcher to switch back and forth between the two. With my video games, I have my PS4, my Switch, my Xbox One, and then even like my PS3, my Vita TV, my Xbox 360, uh, Switch and Wii U, all plugged into one massive switcher. And then that switcher goes into one cable, which goes into my capture card. So I can switch between consoles on the fly because I predominantly stream from my Switch and my PlayStation 4. And then occasionally for, for the sake of like, let's go revisit some old game. I'll boot up the Vita TV to play like Soul Sacrifice or something like that. It's it's very interesting because obviously this seems like a massive like setup and whatnot. Have you thought about doing like a setup, like a not a reveal, but you know when you show off your setup and be like, hey guys, this is what I'm doing. Like, have you ever thought about doing a stream in which you just explain your, your process? It's something that I do want to do, yes, because I've actually spent the last month or so while I've not been traveling due to travel restrictions. I basically have been home for a couple of months, which I'm very much not used to. I'm used to spending three quarters of the year overseas. I've spent a huge amount of that time revamping my house in a variety of ways, fully redone my kitchen, my bedroom my bathroom is coming and then a few other places in the house I've completely redone but the main one is my streaming room which is my lounge room it used to be just like my computer or my couple of computers my monitors and just a blank wall whereas behind me now I have a full kind of stream set up with multiple props and, and all kinds of cool things behind it which is something I, I love showing off and it's something I want to do a reveal video about those who watch my streams have seen it already but I do want to do like a YouTube 
video of here is everything I have and how it all works because I do definitely have a bit of an overkill setup compared to most because I don't you know for example I don't even run a webcam I run like uh, two professional cameras I run a Sony a5100 and a Sony RX100 Mark IV both plugged into cam links which is another Elgato kind of capture card product so I effectively have three capture cards running at once two capturing video signals um, or two capturing cameras and then one capturing a video source of some kind being a PC or a or a console if I really wanted to if I could like really wanted to go nuts I actually have a second 4k pro I could wire that in as well and then run a run my console capture card into that and then I wouldn't even need to switch cables but that's at that point it's kind of like overkill and I just didn't see a point with that so I kind of just chose not to worry about that and I'm like ah, that's okay let's just uh, have the spare capture card it's very interesting with that overkill setup for those who are obviously getting started in streaming they won't be accessible to that sort of level of stuff but do you feel as if there is especially now with all these products that are coming out do you feel that there is like a monetary sort of gate into streaming do you feel that people that want to stream can stream with like basic equipment or do you feel that they need to have at least in this climate do they need to have all of this equipment to get started you absolutely don't need the equipment to get started but it helps a lot if you do there is one particular streamer i love canter for me uh, 92 fantastic fantastic individual i've known him for six years now at least i think he only streams monster hunter and he gets almost a thousand concurrence when he streams monster hunter but i have no idea what he looks or sounds like he has never had a webcam or a microphone it's always just been his game feed and he types in chat that's what he does however he is incredibly skilled at monster hunter he is the most skilled player in the game that i know by leaps and bounds so he doesn't need that because he's very good at the game and does really cool challenges that I don't know of anyone else being able to complete them. So as a result, he gets around that. So that's a very much an exception to the rule. Generally, if you do want to succeed at broadcasting, or at least get a, a bit of a growth period or a bit of a kickoff to start with, I highly recommend at least just a webcam and a microphone, or at least just a microphone. You can go without camera because I don't have my camera on stream heaps times. I'll turn it off sometimes because I don't want to be on camera that day, right? But having a microphone is so important. Otherwise, you're just showing off gameplay. People can watch that on YouTube. They can watch a YouTube Let's Play. They can watch something else so easily. Whereas if you add to it, people have a reason to watch you. And making sure you're adding to the broadcast is the most important thing. Whether that is via a camera, via a webcam, via insanely good gameplay, or via very high interactivity in chat. If you're able to play and type like Kanta can do, I don't know how he does it, but he does, then you can kind of get away with that and it's fine. Most people, however, they generally can't do that. I certainly can't do that. So I would recommend there is a slight monetary gate. You don't have to, but it's going to help a lot if you have a webcam and a mic, or at least just a mic if you can only pick one. It also sounds like as if you're mentioning personality as well because you're talking about showing your face or, or talking adding something more than just the gameplay have you ever seen streamers like in the sense that you might jump on a stream and you're like this guy is really boring like have you ever felt that way and is there for, for new streamers is there a way to kind of learn how to have a personality for a lack of better words there definitely is streamers all across the spectrum there are some who which are incredibly engaging and some which are incredibly incredibly monotonous this does happen and it, it is a skill it's not as easy as people think to be able to pay attention to a game a chat and be entertaining all at the same time without any kind of buffer between you and all of that with youtube recording you can re-record you can retake with live streaming you can't do that you have to be kind of switched on all of the time 
and it's very very difficult to do. A lot of people have trouble with that, so I recommend start off with games where that's easy to do. If you're not too sure if you want to practice improving that skill, there's a couple of things you can do here. You can try casting other people's games, casting esports games, or you can try playing a turn-based game like Pokemon for example, where you are able to look at chat and talk with chat for a little while instead of having to constantly be like on the go, 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 like a Call of Duty Warzone for example, where you need to be paying attention to the game at all times. It's very hard to pay attention to chat at the same time. I think that helps a lot in terms of like getting a personality for broadcasting, but there are streamers out there which are incredibly, incredibly dry, but still very entertaining because they make that part of their routine and they do being dry very well. It's just the case of whatever you can do, do it with some modicum of proficiency. Proficiency is appealing in itself. If you're proficient at something or you're talented at something because they're not the same thing, you will find that people will generally be more attracted to watching that thing. So if you're going to stream, just try and stream something that you are proficient or trying to be proficient at. And I think that'll help a lot. Before we go into an ad break, I just want to ask one final question in regards to this whole streaming tips and, and tricks and, and, and whatnot. Is there any streamers that are like your favorite streamers? Who are you currently following on Twitch? at the moment. Okay, I'm always watching hundreds of different broadcasters as it's my job with broadcasters to watch a large amount of them. There are a few which I watch and have been watching for many years kind of constantly though. Excessive Profanity is one of them. Uh, Australian based in Melbourne. Variety streamer which plays whatever and has a really good time and is incredibly well spoken. He is a variety streamer which has the ability to really command a good presence and command a very good audience and have a good time doing it. I've always enjoyed watching Cody's content over the years and it's been an inspiration for me for a long time. Other ones I'm watching right now is Liquid Wi-Fi. He's a speedrunner. He only speedruns Simpsons Hit and Run and a Spongebob game. So they're old PS2 games, but he is incredibly entertaining and his chat is entertaining. So I go in there if I, if I like want to have a good laugh when I know I'm going to have a great time over there. In terms of relaxing broadcasters, Glitchbun is a streamer based in America. She streams mostly art at the moment, Animal Crossing like everybody else, but it's just a really, really chill stream. So it's a great stream I'll put on a second screen while I'm doing something else. So it's like a good lurker friendly stream, which I enjoy heavily. And there's many streams like that, which I enjoy with a lurker friendly. Or if I want to enjoy travel, there are many travel streamers out there as well. Star Bitsy Chun is one based in Japan. I watch her if I'm going to be wanting to enjoy like outdoors kind of content with someone that is still quite active and has a very vibrant personality. Personally for me, I don't use Twitch as much as the, you know, average person or indeed as much as you do because you, you work with streamers and such so for me when it comes to streaming and, and twitch it's either i know it sounds really bad but it's it's you mainly either you or there's a couple of art streamers that you know I, I watch and stuff but that's only because they do the artwork for the podcast for me i i kind of found that keeping up to date with streamers is very difficult because it's kind of like it it kind of based on your on your regionality right because i'm in the uk i often kind of miss your streams because obviously the time difference can be a bit of an issue is there like ways that streamers can combat that like is there something like do the streams get saved or something so that i can go and check it out later on or can you put on the stream again like the, how does that work okay so with broadcasting when a broadcast ends if you're a twitch partner it will be saved in the save videos tab for 60 days so if you miss one of my streams for example you have two months to go back and watch it it's still there if there's any copyrighted audio that'll be muted as a result i generally don't play a whole lot of music on my streams bar the very start and the very end and I keep it to kind of band camp music which generally doesn't get struck down so there's that if you're a not a partner I think it stays up 
for a week or two weeks if you're an affiliate. So there's still time to watch it as long as you enable it. That's turned off by default in your Twitch settings. You do need to turn it on to tell it to save broadcasts. There are also people who will export those streams to YouTube for permanent highlighting as you can permanently highlight a stream or highlight a section of a stream which records it forever. Something which I've done is, for example, I highlighted a little art museum to do with Marvel that I went to in one of my IRL streams. So I highlighted that, so that's there permanently. Anyone can go and check out that little art exhibition. That art exhibition doesn't exist anymore. They can go and enjoy that content. Uh, one of my biggest shortcomings is, is I tend to forget to highlight things. So a lot of my IRL stuff in Japan I planned on highlighting, I simply never did, and I kind of regret doing that. Is that not against the terms of service? of Twitch to then export those kind of videos to YouTube or? Not at all, no, it's it's a function in Twitch itself. Oh, okay. Twitch will do it for you. It's like, you're like I want to export this to YouTube. Click and it'll export it. You can also download your VODs as well if you want to download them. So I all of my Japan travel, while I didn't highlight the videos, I did remember to download them. So I have them all on my PC so I can open up Premiere or Sony Vegas or another video editing software and make some kind of YouTube content out of them, which is something that I do want to do because I did an extensive amount of filming um, in the Kirby Cafe. I want to show that off. Oh, wow. Okay. I think that's a good place to have a little bit of ad break. I'll see you on the other side of this ad break and we're going to talk about the global emote and time for an ad.
And we are back with Brad. Brad, as you know, you're known online now as Bless RNG. Where did that come from? Okay, so Bless RNG is, as an emote has existed now for I think three years. I've been branded for it for about two now. If I get my dates correct, which I think I have correct, 2018, 16, yeah. So about three years now it's been active for as a, as a name and an emote itself. The name itself was a name I simply came up with was when I wanted my global emote to have its own nomenclature. I was like, well, I know what my emote's going to be. It's going to be me doing this like praying pose, this blessing pose, and I love speedrunning streams. Speedrunning streams are my favorite category to watch. So I was like, oh, bless the run, bless RNG, because RNG is so important in speedrunning. There are so many categories and so many games that are RNG reliant. So they want their RNG to be good. So I made the emote with speedrunning in mind and the brand name was speedrunning in mind, but it actually happened to get picked up by like the Hearthstone community and the League community, which I didn't expect. And then it blew up from there. So for those who don't know, because I didn't know this until today, what is RNG? And what's the importance of it? RNG stands for like random number generator. And when you're doing something in a game that has an RNG implement, it will be randomly done. For example, let's say you're playing like a gacha game on your mobile and you have like a 1% chance to draw the character that you want to draw or you want to obtain when you purchase like the summoning materials to purchase that character. You have a 1% chance. So you hope RNG is kind to you because you want that random number generator to land on that 1% to give you the character that you want. So as a result, bless RNG, you want RNG to be good to you. That is where that came from. It's um, the pose. I can imagine because I've heard some interviews with you discussing the pose itself. I just want to know something and I don't know if it's been discussed before. Is that your real hands in the pose? It is my real hands, yes. So with those hands, they are photoshopped up. So if you look at the emote itself, the face is to my awareness completely untouched, but the hands, we have enlarged the size of the hands. My hands are actually very small, but they have long, I've got like piano player's hands, got like long fingered hands. So my hands are small, so we blew the size of the hands up. We gave them a bit more lighting, and then we enhanced the kind of gaps in between the fingers and made them more uh, prominent. So we added some darker darkening to that. As a result, the hands stand out a lot more. So I, obviously I can imagine that's because so I'm guessing you've done that to, to mainly just get those hands popping out. That's correct, yeah. Getting those hands to, to strike out was really important. We went through, I think, almost 20 variations before we finally found one we were happy with that, uh, that Hexen or OzGD, my main moderator, and still one of my main moderators now, did all the work on that for me. Very, very thankful to him for, for spending all the time doing that. We went through so many revisions till we finally went, that is one that people can see in a 28 by 28 image, or like 28 pixels image, and can immediately interpret what it is without having to go like what is that and look at it kind of funny once we had that then we we sent it in for approval um before i really get into the origin behind it i just want to know have you had people at like obviously twitchcon and like other events who don't know you and they're like oh my god it's, it's bless rng have people come up to you knowing the emote as opposed to knowing your your streams and, and your broadcasts. Oh, significantly, I get that way more than people that know my broadcast. Because as a broadcaster, I actually think I'm a very, like, a relatively small one in comparison to the people who I hang out with. Com compared to others, I am a large broadcaster because I get, you know, about 100 to 150 concurrents, anywhere from 80 to 150, depending. So if too many, I am large, but to the people I hang out with, I'm actually relatively small. But if I go to an event like a TwitchCon EU, 
But I've even been spotted at like Tokyo Game Show and a variety of other places. People will come up to me and then they'll be like, you're the Bless RNG guy, right? And I'll be like, yep, that's me. I actually met, um, although they're an ex of mine now, one of the girlfriends over the years I've met, uh, I met via that method. Being like, hey, you're the Bless, she come to me, she's like, you're the Bless RNG guy. And I'm like, yeah, that's me, what's up? And that's how we met. So it definitely does happen. Has it also gotten you like other opportunities? Because obviously your, your face is out there completely like i do a google search of bless rng you're the first one that comes up and it's not even your twitch channel that comes up it's just a bit people like posting your picture around do you not feel like a bit not necessarily worried do you not feel like a bit anxious that your your image is just like everywhere not at all because i knew that would happen when i got my global emote made i was very aware that it could go everywhere it may not but it just becomes something that is part of Twitch culture and therefore part of online culture. So I was very prepared for that. As a result, when it first came out, I gave it a year. I continued to stream under Diyoshi TV for a whole year, just in case it turned toxic so I could disassociate myself from it if I needed to. Thankfully it didn't, it was loved by all and became very positively used. So that's why I rebranded after that. Once I was aware that like, yep, it's going to be safe to use. It's fine. This is a good brand. I haven't toxified my own brand for lack of a better word. I don't think there's even a real word. Then I changed and it was okay. But it is something that you have to be kind of aware of. And that any creator has to be aware of. Is there anything you say or do is out there and you won't necessarily be able to delete it no matter how hard you try. It's just out there. It's something that you need to always pay attention to as a broadcaster that you're your actions, your words can influence others and do influence others. That's why the term influencer exists. You have the ability to really cause a lot of change. That change can be positive or negative depending on what you do and how you do it. So making sure you always have that in mind with anything that you do is paramount to doing well as a broadcaster. There was something that you mentioned in the previous segment in which you said the the emote was mainly kind of targeted towards speedrunners but you mentioned that the hearthstone community has been using it how much of a shock was that for you and how are they using it because i i kind of find it a bit odd as to how they're using that it was a real pleasant surprise that like seeing these other communities pick it up was huge with hearthstone and with any trading card game it makes sense because you want to top deck the best card the card that'll win you the game but you've randomly shuffled your deck, so you're drawing it randomly. So it's like, oh man, I hope RNG gives me a good card, bless RNG. Oh, I got the card to win the game, boom. Or like, if somebody does a top deck that's a really powerful card, chat spams bless RNG, because like, oh, RNG was really good to them, they got a good card, if that makes sense. That's kind of how they use it, but it definitely caught me by surprise. I didn't expect it. I didn't expect the emote to do nearly as well as it did. I did think about it, and I did try and generate an emote that would create some kind of impact, some kind of growth, and fill a gap that the Twitch emotes didn't have. It wasn't just me off the cuff being like, oh, I guess this pose will do. I thought about it for a long time and applied a lot of planning and execution to it. I just didn't expect it to go nearly as well as it has. In terms of statistics, it's used now just on Twitch alone. This excludes Discord, excludes iPhones because it's on iMessage and anything like that. It's used approximately twice a second, which is crazy to me because I looked a year ago and it was once every two seconds. So it's like blown up a huge amount. Went from once from two seconds to one second, now twice a second. So it's kind of nuts, the impact that it's had. Which does lead to people stopping me in the street and being like, hey, you're the Bless RNG guy, or you look like the Bless RNG guy. I've been accused of cosplaying myself once, which I thought was hilarious. He's like, oh man, you look just like one. I'm like, that's because I'm actually them. And then they're like, whoa. It was, it was like my funniest, you know you've made it when someone accuses you of cosplaying yourself. 
And uh, that's what happened. And I was like, I've done it. I've done it. I've succeeded. I'm a bro. I, I'm an influencer now. People have accused me of cosplaying me. Well done, me, I guess. You're mentioning cons, right? So, because uh, obviously I can tell that this this pose, this bless RNG pose that you've been doing, it, it kind of has like a godlike, Jesus-y vibe to it. Have people commented on that? Have Were people like, oh, you, you look like Jesus? Well, that's where it all started, actually. When I was doing the tournament that I entered to win the emote slot, people were like, oh, it's Twitch Jesus. He looks like Twitch Jesus. And that was kind of the nickname I'd gotten in that tournament. And I thought about it, I'm like, I could really run with this. That's a really, really good angle to have. So that's kind of, I kind of dived further into it. And that's where the original idea for the emote even came from. I was like, how do I do a Twitch Jesus emote? And then it all kind of like built from there and then it became what it was. The only reason that I bring it up is because uh, the last expo I went to was MCM London Comic Con. And I saw a guy cosplaying as Jesus. And when people were like, oh, take a picture of Jesus, take a picture with me, they were doing the best RNG pose. So that's why I brought it up, because I was like, wow, it is a really Jesus-y thing to do. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's kind of, that was intentional. That was a very much an intentional thing. It's meant to like kind of invoke a variety of different angles and and that was one of them definitely the whole like jesus angle because it does do well and, it, and people know what it is it's very relatable no matter what religious domination like denomination you follow or don't follow it's still something that you know it's something that people can relate to or not relate to but at least be aware of so it generates a degree of familiarity so it's easy to use and easy to recognize with this obviously being a global emote have you found that it's increased your your sub count on your on your broadcasts or absolutely not it's <laughs> not at all uh, as a as a broadcaster my numbers are very much the same that they were back then there's been a very small bump and you know every couple of streams i'll get someone gonna be like oh you're the blessed rng guy yo what's up and i'm like yo what's up and then they'll follow and then they'll hang out for that stream and they'll generally won't come back they're generally coming for like one stream and vanish that's okay though i've gotten significantly other big things from being the emote as a result, I don't take streaming, I take streaming very seriously, but it's not something I do as a job. It's not something I do for the sake of making income. I do it as the hobby I take too seriously. It's very, very fun to do. So I love doing it. But I'm not too fussed on growing the channel or things like that. I instead talk to companies and use the whole, like, my face has been used twice a second. People know what my face is. So if you do do marketing with me, you'll get good ROI because people know what the face is. So as a result, I, like, I do better on, like, my Twitter blew up, for example. My other socials exploded a lot when the emote came out. But my Twitch actually stayed relatively the same. But again, I'm okay with that. It's something I would love to solve one day. Like, everyone knows what Bless RNG is, but they don't know who it is or that they're a broadcaster. And bridging that gap is something I haven't fully figured out how to solve yet. But I'm also not too fussed about it. Like, it'll, it'll solve itself when it does. As I said, I've gotten significantly large amounts of other things as a result of I've landed, like, I landed a relationship out of it. I landed many jobs. Many of my day jobs have been started with, oh, I know you, you're the Bless RNG guy. Uh, I got my job at Stream Elements based on that. And it's kind of, it's kind of an automatic icebreaker where it opens doors because people know what it is. And that's such an important thing in networking is if people know who you are and what you do, before you say hi to them, it opens doors at a significantly faster rate or they're already open by the time you speak to them. It helps out so much because you kind of get the whole like your reputation procedure kind of thing. And that's really, really crucial. Or well, not necessarily crucial, but it's very helpful. So having that has, has landed me many other things, many sponsored deals and many jobs and many travel opportunities 
from having the emote, but in terms of having my audience, my audience is still the same audience I had four years ago. It's still my, like, my diehard regulars are still all there. And, you know, very occasionally I get someone new. It's it's very interesting because we mentioned the whole bless RNG when you want to kind of, I don't want to say it, like, bless the RNG, right? What if it doesn't turn out so good? Let's say someone wants to get those stats in a particular game or whatnot, and the numbers are not too good for them. How how does someone react to that? Is there like a counter emote for that? Um, not really. Not at the moment. People will often like use like a knot like this or there's a few other like globals out there that people will use, but not a huge amount. I am working on, because I do actually have the ability to give them a second global emote for a larger amount of reasons. Uh, I have a second one. I am working on one that is meant to be a counterfoil to bless RNG. It's meant to be the one you use if RNG is not kind to you. That's kind of what I'm trying to go for with the second one. And you think the second one is going to be as popular or, or you're not really getting your hopes up for that second emote? I don't think it will be as popular, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I just don't think it will be as popular as the first one, but that's okay. I, I want to be known for the first one and then the second one will supplement that. So that's kind of intentional. It can be okay to make things that aren't necessarily as popular because they're using to supplement the popular thing and make the popular thing more popular. You mentioned earlier on that you won it through a competition. Now that sounds very interesting. How did that even come about? What the hell is this competition? Tell us more about that. Okay, I'll explain this one briefly because the full story actually, as I've done the full story on my own stream, I do it as a charity incentive reward goes for like an hour. So I'll truncate it very, very shortly. Uh, PAX Australia 2015, there was a tournament called PJ Sultan, which I was entered into. Uh, they kind of brought eight Twitch creators up. They didn't have enough partners. I wasn't partner back then. They just brought me on. And the winner got a flight to Boston and qualification into the PAX East one. So I won that, got flown to PAX East, got top four at that one, which got me flights and qualification to TwitchCom. And I won the TwitchCom one. And that was the grand final one. And the prize was a global emote slot to do with whatever I wanted. And that was basically over a whole year. It was three different tournaments that I went to like back and forth kind of things. In terms of what the games are, the game is a different game every, every round. You don't know what the game is until you sit down and you're ready to play. And they go like, you're playing against this guy and the game is going to be this. Okay, go. And it's often like very random, very like weird games. All it can be indie games. So they can be games like, uh, although never in my circuit, Overcooked is one that's been done before. But there's like dueling style ones like Nidhogg, which I have played, Duck Game, which I have played. Keep talking and nobody explodes. There was a Lego building competition one tournament. DDR was uh, around once. Uh, I've played on a pinball machine. I've done Big Buck Hunter. It's very. Ra I've played a game on the Atari. I've done like it's really random stuff, and you you don't know what it's going to be until you sit down. What games were you given during that first? Okay, during the Australian one, the first round was Choice Chamber, which is a vertical platformer where Twitch chat controls the obstacles. I actually lost that and got knocked out the first round, but they uh they have a like a revival system, and I was brought back in. So I skipped the second round, which was Gang Beasts. Uh, the third was duck game and the final was an atari game called kangaroo which is just like a really old platformer um and then i won that in terms of pax east it was western press was the first round move or die was the second round keep talking and nobody explodes was the third round i got knocked out there grand final was a lego building contest and for the grand final at twitchcon for that year i played western press again 
as my first round because I got to choose the game. Uh, second game was Murder GP, then it was Walking Dead Pinball, then it was Big Buck Hunter HD as the grand final. So with that, you meant obviously you're mentioning that it could be a game that you've never played before. Like, doesn't that add a lot more stress to it, or do you feel that it's, it was like a fun thing and you would do it again? Oh, it's meant to be a fun tournament. It's not meant to be a tournament that's taken too seriously. Although I am weird in that I am the one that enters it that takes it ultra seriously because I knew the gravity of the prize. The global emote is such a big important thing. So I took the tournament ultra seriously. Everyone else is kind of there for a laugh. I'm like, nah, 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 I'm here to win. So, but I still had a great time doing it. I had a real fun time and it's meant to be a fun tournament. We did it again last year at TwitchCon, do it TwitchCon every year. And like, I didn't win, I got top four because it was a Jackbox themed one and I'm bad at those games but one of the rounds was improv theater like we just did improv theater instead and it was a uh, mega fun even though I did a horrible job I had a great time because I just didn't you know I wasn't there to win I was there to have a good time for that one uh, it's kind of like a very different approach so I've never felt I kind of felt a little bit stressed because for me I took it so seriously and I really wanted to win so I did practice I was stressed I did analyze previous PJ Sultans to try and predict what the games would be of which uh, one of my predictions being duck game was correct at the time there was like there was there were ways you could like if you paid enough attention you could potentially figure out what some of the games were gonna be but more often than not you didn't know so that for me it was a bit of a stressful experience but when I was on stage though it was just like let's have fun let's have a good time and just just make sure we, we give a good performance to those watching. So how did you get these, the opportunity to make a second emo? Uh, I won again. So I've won PAX East 2015. I was like PAX Australia 2015, which got me the PAX East one. Then I won TwitchCon 2016, which gave me the prize. Then I won it again at TwitchCon 2018, which was the Champions version. So it was seven previous people that had won PJ Sultans before, and then one person, uh, bless his heart, Casper, who's entered every one and never won. Uh, they put us all, put us all together, and went like, yep, the winner of this is like the winner of the winners. And uh, I won that one. So my prize was another global emote slot because I won again. Uh, and then I was told I am now graduated from PJ Salt and I'm no longer allowed to win because I'm the first person to ever win three. Uh, and the only person to ever win three because PAX Australia 2015 counts as winning one. Even though I didn't get a global emote, it still counts as winning. He's like, you've won three, you're not allowed to win anymore. You're out. But they, they bring me back in every year as kind of like a staple to have fun with the tournament and mostly to eliminate as many other players as possible. And just like kind of bend the rules and kind of be like the heel character for that particular thing the way yeah basically i'm the wild card or like like the gladiator if you watch like gladiator so you're like the gladiator of that i remember the one idea we we're gonna have is like 16 players and then me as like the gladiator or the game master and the idea was you'd only progress if you beat me in things and then if enough of you got to the finals you would play it off in the grand finals um, but if i eliminated everybody then i would win uh, that didn't happen unfortunately in the end i still want it to happen one day and be like yep that's it this is this is the way it goes uh, like a champion defender version like a tower version uh, we'll see how we go hopefully pj sultan continues to run for future years a lot of the team that worked on pj sultan have since left twitch and moved to other fantastic ventures and i love them all dearly but with three quarters of the team kind of gone i'm curious if the pj sultan itself will continue to run i know it doesn't run at paxis anymore it just runs at twitchcon eu and twitchcon now the twitchcon eu won the prize is much like pax australia was a flight to twitchcon and qualification into that or the pax east one rather so i have to see how we go so i think that's obviously been very interesting i think it's time for another ad break um when we come back i'm just gonna ask you some questions about anime because i thought that would be very interesting to do so we'll see you guys at the end of this ad break
We are back with Brad once again. He hasn't left, um, which is very good because that's happened before. Yeah, stuck with me. Um, <laughs> really? Yeah, that's happened before. I've had one person leave a recording mid-recording. It's very interesting. Oh dear. Yeah, no, not because of not because I was shit or anything. It was because they had to pick up someone, so they left. It was actually quite funny. I was doing a recording with Aaron Fitzgerald, um, the voice of Chie Satanaka from I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Persona. Aaron's great. So I did an episode with her, and she was getting her nails done with her mum. Her mum had come from Canada they were getting their nails done and they were eating donuts as they were recording in in the nail shop so she had to leave the recording for a bit because she was driving she couldn't you know whatever so she had to leave the recording for half an hour and then come back so that's that has happened before so anime you mentioned that you watch anime and you were attending some anime conventions and if I'm not mistaken you were working for an anime company at one point or another right I did work in the anime industry for a little while I'm a huge fan of anime and it's been a huge part of my upbringing for ever since I remember since I was 14 so I worked at Hanabi which is a anime publisher they did Rooster Teeth they do Kojima Productions they do Rocket Jump but mostly anime these days they just do anime and Koji Pro I believe but I worked for them casually as a marketing assistant for about two years sometimes it was you know full-time sometimes it was once a month it kind of varied but I did a huge amount of things involving anime production at that company for example blu-ray authoring dvd authoring netflix subtiming other general marketing stuff working for them at conventions and that's where I kind of got my passion for working at conventions was with Hanabi but I worked for them for a while and I've been a huge fan of of anime ever since then I've been sponsored by a variety of anime companies in the past uh, such as like Hanabi and then anime lab and I've chatted with Crunchyroll previously who sponsors you guys and a few other places as well Siren Visual have supplied me with stuff over the years Mad Men have always been very good to me kind of just like something that I like a lot I stream a lot of anime games as a result so like the Attack on Titan Koei Tecmo games I streamed those and love those to bits most anime games I kind of broadcast and I tend to do pretty well with them as well as it's something that I'm kind of rather deeply involved in is there a anime that you would say is your all-time favorite because you mentioned obviously watching um, Evangelion on SBS I would imagine that would have been your first introduction to anime and come to think of it that's a, that's an intense introduction to anime what the hell like but but regardless what would you say is your favorite anime mine is a bit of an off-center choice because i love shimigami tensei oh okay so people are like oh it's a persona series i'm like no devil survivor the animation is really really good based on shimigami tensei devil survivor the ds game had its uh, full or devil survivor 2 the animation i think it is specifically uh, that is definitely my favorite anime of all time it's like a no-brainer for me i love i worked on that series in australia as well so it's one of the ones I got to kind of like have a bit of a hand on but uh, I'm a huge fan of that particular series I think it's 13 hour but it's not that long uh, and it's one that very few people have seen but I really enjoyed it oh well, I can imagine it seems very niche considering it's based off a of a DS game yeah <laughs> but I mean in general like the Persona series is kind of you know it's trumped SMT in terms of how many people you know are fans of the series and, and keep up to date with it because I was actually watching a, a YouTube video right before this recording that kind of talks about the popularity of SMT compared to Persona and stuff and it's quite it's quite interesting I always thought that you would kind of be the person that would be really into like shoujo anime I don't know why I think it's the beard it's it's someone everyone that I've noticed everyone that has beards they kind of like the, the more like rom-com and that kind of stuff but I'm shocked by I that, have a no? pretty eclectic mix in tastes I watch all kinds of people like what are your top five and it's like all over the shop I'm like oh yeah Fate Stay Night's great Elfin Lead is great Devil Survivor 2 is great and then they're like well hold on hold on hold on that's all very different stuff and I'm like, yeah, and then like Gundam Zeta is great. So there's like a mecha in there. So it's like all over the shop. I watch all kinds of stuff and it kind of mixes up uh, immensely. And then Claymore is the other one. So it's kind of like all over the... My tastes in anime are very eclectic. 
yeah, very varied, but uh, I'll gladly watch like anything from like, it's not like hyperviolent like Claymore to something a lot more chill like Chihaya Furu or like uh, Tudune or, or something like that. Or, and, or, or like go to like sports or go to like Ayesha 21 or Megalobox or something like that and, and really mix it up or like Redline like a racing one happy to watch all kinds of things as long as it's presented well and it's a story that I can really enjoy I'll get into it I'm really good at being able to like suspend disbelief and just like believe whatever's going on I'm just very very good at doing that when I watch anything I, I fully immerse into it I can't watch anime on like a second screen while doing something else I have to be watching it and paying full attention to it but it means that I like 100% get into it. I don't question things. I just watch it and, and take it all at face value. So things like the emotional impacts hit me really strong when I have to because I just kind of take it all take it all up front. I enjoy watching anime like that. I think it's a fun way to watch it and I save all the analysis for afterwards. Fair enough. I mean, like we do that because we have um, an anime podcast so we have to watch, like we have to watch a lot of different varied anime. Personally for me, I'm, I'm really into the rom-coms and like, you know, like those cheesy romance animes or like the high school anime. Like Toradora and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, man. Toradora, I'm glad glad you mentioned that Toradora is my number one anime of all time I watch it every year it was the first ever Hanabi release oh really it was Toradora mm -hmm. I love Toradora I, I I really do like there's something about it like I got into anime in like 2012 so maybe two years after Toradora released uh, well actually no four years after Toradora released Toradora was 2008 and yeah I got into anime then and I was like really depressed and my friend was like watch Toradora so I watched it and it changed my life completely it introduced me to anime but it just made me feel really like a range of different emotions you get depressed you get upset but then you also feel very happy with Toradora and there's times that you cry and you laugh and all that kind of stuff but that's what I love about the anime like for me I watch it every year around Christmas time have to it's like a tradition for me I can't like there hasn't been a year in which I haven't seen Toradora uh, I know that sounds a bit obsessive you do you it, no, it's a tradition I have like one friend of mine who plays Secret of Manor on Christmas every Christmas like it's it's tradition you do you that's you know it's something that you like to do so you do it for me, for my birthday every year, I go to Japan and I go to the Monster Hunter bar. It's just the thing I do every year. So we all have those kinds of things. Another series that's like Toradora, and I worked on this one, I worked on every series for it in Australia, was uh, The Familiar of Zero. It has the same Seiyu, the main female character, Seiyu is the same, and is a very similar kind of character, because she kind of plays those characters very well, and there's like five or six different series where she plays that kind of character in. And The Familiar of Zero is another one, uh, very much like that, but it's instead of being like 26 episodes, it's like four seasons, it's long. I can't handle anime that because on our anime podcast we only cover anime that's up to 30 episodes because it's just uh... it's because we have to watch the anime in its entirety first season in its entirety before we review it because we actually make notes and it's a proper serious deal for us so we can't because of the time restrictions we can't watch anime longer than that so i've kind of been conditioned not to enjoy anime over 30 episodes without that's fair. a break like, that, that can be hard that, that, that makes jojo's hard then because i love jojo's but that's like you know part four and part five but like 50 episodes pop and then like Steins Gate, another one I'm a huge fan of. There's like Steins Gate Zero as well. So now it's like a 50 episode banger for all of it. And it's like, oh, so much to watch. I can't do like the multi-hundred ones, like One Piece. No, I, I know it's amazing. I know it's really good, but I just can't do it. I can't sit through 900 apps to, <laughs> to get up to date. It's just not going to happen. I'm not a fan of One Piece. I haven't played um One Piece Warriors 4 yet. I'm still going to play that. I've heard it's good. The One Piece Warriors games are generally pretty good. I, I found those games are quite interesting, but it, it's kind of odd at the same time because Koei makes them they don't publish them and so i don't necessarily yeah. get review code for the games that Koei don't it's bondi namco that publishes bandai them, yeah because they they own like the rights or they're on like the 
production yeah, committee. Yeah, yeah. I've noticed now with, with a lot of Koei games, and we're going to have an episode in a couple of weeks' time where we focus on anime games, but there is a trend with which games Koei kind of releases. I would imagine if there was going to be another Koei anime tie-in game, it might be like Seven Deadly Sins or like, um, I'm trying to think of other ones, but there's a lot of anime they can I think Seven DS would be a good one. Like, they've done so many good ones. Like, Arslan Senki was fantastic. The Berserk one wasn't bad. The only thing was like, they really did make a lot of these different Warriors games for like various IPs. The second Hawkton or Ken one was really good. The first one wasn't very good. Um, and then like the Gundam Warriors 2 is is like my flagship favorite tie-in Warriors. Bandai doesn't want to continue it. It's, it's unfortunate because it's so cool, man. Doesn't didn't sell enough. Such a good series. The second the second one was the best one. After that, it went downhill. Really? But um, I'd love yeah. I mean, in my opinion, I love the second one. I think the second one was great. Wait, what about what about Shin Gundam? What about that? They were okay. They were all good, but they weren't as good as the second one. GW2 is like my favorite one. I played so much of GW2. Um, but you never know. Maybe one day we'll see it. We can hope. All we can do is, you know, request it and enough requests happen and they'll eventually consider it. And if it makes enough money, of course, which the uh, older ones didn't, which was the problem. Yeah. Oh, I can imagine. All we can do, as you said, we can hope, we can pray, do the emo. And see it, and see it. And then there's Persona 5 Scramble. Hopefully that gets localized soon. Oh, yeah. I hope That'd so. That would be good. That would be very interesting. I played that at Jump World, because I was at Jump World last year, and it was fantastic. It was so good. You know, I'll tell you something about Persona 5 Scramble and the new fairy tale game that's coming out. A couple of years ago, um, we were at the Koei offices and Nathan from Koei Tecmo asked us, guys, if there was a like a special sort of spin-off, what kind of warrior spin-off would you want to see? And this was like way before they even announced Scramble. I was like, yeah, Persona 5, Musou game. That'll be what I want to see. And then my sister was like, yeah, I want to see a fairy tale RPG. And lo and behold, there you go. those things. Lo so kind of within the Koei community now, people have, have kind of treated me like Santa Claus. Like they, they write their lists to me and they say, Bish, we want this and this and this. And I'm like, I can't. <laughs> go, go and chat to Nathan. Go so. and chat to Nathan. But Nathan isn't in control of that. Like, he was shocked. And it was just like a fan thing. It wasn't like, I just want to clarify. It's not like we know anything and it's not like we have any sort of contacts. It was knowing. just what you wanted to see. So, which is good because that means that they chose to develop the right thing because it's something that the fans wanted to see. It means they, they did it good. Um, I remember uh, when I went to, because I've been to the co offices in Japan a few times, the ones in, in, in Yokohama. Um, back when I knew a guy there, I don't know a guy there anymore. He moved on. Uh, he moved, he works at Sony now. So I, I visited him at the Sony HQ instead but um when i went to the the hq in yokohama um yeah, there's always all kinds of crazy stuff they were working on um i have a bunch of really cool like trinkets from that like i have like a warriors orochi 3 script book signed by a bunch of seiyu um, which i picked up from the uh from going to the japanese offices so they gave me a bunch of cool things because i like i like koei stuff and there's not many influencers that do they're always willing to like give me things so i know because in ikebukuro they have the koei tecmo cafe which i go to normally yeah um, I, I go there every time i go to japan i go there like once um so this time around they had like the yokai yokai watch mobile game collaboration so i went and got like a it's like a yokai game and then like a warriors game kind of put together on the mobile i don't know much about it but they had a collab for that so i got a bunch of meals themed on that but they have like uh like three kingdoms meals like samurai warriors meals neo meals gust meals all kinds of stuff it's, uh, it's really really cool but you get coasters but they gave it's a permanent thing it's been there for years but they gave me a um a set of like because each time you go you get a coaster and they did one for warriors of Rochi three at the time and every single character had a coaster and i'm like that's like 120 
120 coasters, dude. He's like, yeah, just take them all. He just gave me one of every coaster. I'm like, oh, that's so good. But it also means I have like 120 Koei Tecmo coasters. But I have a bunch of stuff from that. Like a bunch of really cool, like rare, obscure kind of Koei Tecmo merch. Um, I know I'm chatting to, because I chat to, don't chat to Nathan that much. I love Nathan. He's great. I chat to Eric on the... Oh, the American side. Yeah. I've never spoken to him. He seems cool though. He's mega chill, mega cool dude. I've run into him many times and he's going to send me some stuff for my, uh, my stream setup. Hopefully when COVID ends, I was like, cause I have basic, cause I thought about it, right? With my huge stream setup behind me, I have multiple cubes that have products in them and I've themed them around certain publishers. So I have like an Atlas section, a Koei Tecmo section, a, and like a huge Capcom section cause I'm known for Monster Hunter. And I was like, yo, if you want me to put things in your section and show them off on stream, just send the product over and I will put it in the back. And then Eric was like, yeah, we'll look into that. And I was like, hey, he might be, um, I might get like a couple of Gust products out of it to show off, which would be cool. We'll see how we go. As I want to kind of get more into that, like kind of like figure review content and like merchandise content, because I think there's like a lot of really cool content that can be made out of talking about merchandise, about like Ichiban Kujis and, and things like that. And I, I love merchandise. I'm a little bit materialistic in that regard, which is, you know, not necessarily the best of traits, but it's what I have and I choose to embrace it. So I want to get a bunch of cool like Koei Tecmo stuff, because I've got some cool things. I've got like a calendar and a few other things, but I want to get some more stuff, like some more cool. I'll be honest with you, like a lot of this stuff you don't really see in the West. They have like a merchandising company as well. So you really don't see that stuff outside of Japan. Like if you wanted to see all of this merch, keychains, figures and stuff, you got to go to like places in Japan to get them. And even in Japan, it's hard to find. You need to go to like a Volks in Akihabara or like go to like Comicet. They have, like Gust has a booth at Comicet or Koei Tecmo have a merch booth at, um, at Tokyo Game Show every year. So you can go and buy Koei Tecmo merch from that. But even then the pickings for that are pretty slim. And then the Gust one, the pickings are very slim for uh, Comic Cat. Because I've realized they do stuff like that here in the UK. Like if you go to MCM Comic Con or if you go to Eurogamer Expo, they'll tend to have like a booth in which they sell certain products. But it's like, there's not much that you can do with, there isn't much. Like there was one year, okay, yeah, they sold the mouse mat from, from Dead or Alive and then the, the little Tenko plushies and stuff. I think it's, it's kind of like a lot of people don't understand and that's no fault of the populace for not understanding, they don't need to understand. That whenever they make like a collector's edition or something, they'll always make a few extra for promo circulation. Ones that were never meant to be released to the public, they just made an extra allocation specifically for promo efforts to advertise them to get them to sell more or for like PR stunts. It's something that the, the companies have been doing for 50 years or longer than that, making these special promo items specifically for that. If they're not gonna give you a treasure box, people will get mad about that. Then instead they'll make something that's specifically for press only and even rarer as a result, which means people will still get mad. Yeah, people are gonna get mad either way, to be honest with you. My, like, I've got stuff here from Koei Tecmo This is like not findable, like my Warriors Rachi 3 calendar. I didn't even know that existed, but I have one. So it's stuff that people would simply not be able to get at all. It's uh, it's difficult. I know in, in Eric's case, it's like just because him and I get along really well and I've offered him a good value prop for it. And he knows he'll get something out of it and it's he and he didn't he only got like one to give away he got like one for influencers and i just talked to him about it and i happened to be getting the one thing so it's not like he got a huge amount of them he's just like i got one and i know you'll do some cool stuff with it let's send it to you and you can talk about it on stream and then put it on your shelf and then go and play the game because i have all the games i can do that too so i can like make it worth 
Code Tecmo is wild to do that content. And I think it's very important if you are doing that kind of online content. Compared to if you visit someone and you just get stuff, that's cool. I know with NVIDIA, you used to visit NVIDIA and you'd leave with a GPU. It was crazy. Um, but they often don't do that anymore for a variety of reasons. But with like online, if I request something from say Eric or Nathan and I go, I want this thing, um, please send it. And they go, okay. In my case, they go, okay, because they know I'm going to give them X amount of things in return. And I've always done that. So like, they just know it's going to happen. If I go, yo, Nathan, send me X codes to do this thing. He'll generally just send them. And then I will, if he is able to, and then I'll send him a report afterwards being like, here's everything that's done. Here's what you gained out of it. Here's how it all worked. Here's your ROI. Thanks. Let's do it again. If you just like request things and get them and then be like, thanks. And then don't give them any reporting. Don't do anything with them. Provide nothing. Then how are they going to know that you did good things, right? How are they going to know that you did the awesome work that you did? Because maybe you did do some fantastic stuff. Some really cool stuff. They've got no idea. They are doing a billion other things. So they, they need to know and you need to tell them. And that's why, because I'm generally very over community for stuff, that's why I do get stuff from like the Koei Tecmo NA office, even though I'm not based in NA, because they know they get content out of me for it and I tell them about it and I send them numbers and send them reporting. I do also have the thing that, you know, I am a, for lack of a better term, even though I'm a small influencer, I'm a well-regarded and well-known one. And my audience is majoritively other influencers. I'm really weird that, yeah, like my, most of my content creator audience is other content creators. So they know if they market to me, it's mostly other creators that are seeing it. So it's chances that those creators will pick it up and those creators will tell their audiences about it. So I kind of become this weird, like unintentional middleman. So for me, that, that works out well. And and like the guys at Koei, they're, they're very smart. They're, they're lovely people and they've got their heads screwed on and they know this. So as a result, they go, yeah, cool. We'll send you this item to put on your shelf because then other creators will see your item and then they may want the item too. And then we can kind of try and get them the item and then they can tell their audiences about it and then they can convert and, and kind of like go down the chain. But I do also have my own audience for, for Koei Tecmo too, who, who love the games a lot because I've streamed so many of their games over the years um, that they're really kind of ready to absorb that. Even with me, the only reason that I got into your content was because I think it was like a Romance of the Three Kingdoms stream. I saw that, I was like, yeah, it was like ROTK9, I think it was. Nine or 10, I don't remember. But I got like sponsored to do that. Um, Not not paid, like I just, they just gave me the game. And I was like, yeah, I love Romance of the Three Kingdoms, let's go. And then then they gave me Nomenaga's Ambition. I was like, I love Nomenaga, let's go, let's do it. See, that's the thing, it's, it's stuff like that. Cause I wasn't even interested in Romance of the Three Kingdoms. Now I'm like, I'm playing 14. I'm like, this game's fucking amazing. But it was all thanks to your stream. So you do have a point there. It's like, it's finding those people. Like I, I have a poster right in front of me from the original release of Dynasty Warriors 2 and it's like a, a, a massive a1 poster dude dude that's sick yeah and it one it was just one day chin i don't know if you remember chin from koei i know I, i've still got him on facebook he's a good dude really cool guy like one day i didn't even ask him for it he was just looking through the office just because you know they have to clear out the space and whatnot especially if they're moving stuff around and he saw the poster and he just sent it to me in the post i didn't even know about it i was just like what the hell is this i opened it up i was like oh my god so it's it's that's that's the kind of relationship i have with koei Obviously, I don't get to show off these things that they send me. Really, it's just more so codes and stuff to kind of aid in, you know, what we do here on the podcast and like reviews and stuff. But to be honest with you, it's it's pretty cool, man. I, I really love them just because of There's their def approach. definitely ways as a podcast you can do kinds of cool things. You can still, there are podcasts out there that talk about figures. There are podcasts out there that talk about merchandise. They still exist. It's just a case of figuring out like how to properly show that. I listened to a podcast for a long time called The Best Damn Podcast Ever. Um, it was a gaming podcast, no longer runs, it was really dumb, but I loved it. And they didn't have 
it was just audio, right? But they would have links with timestamps to things they were talking about. Or if you watched it in iTunes during the day, or back in the day, if you were watching iTunes, during certain periods of time, they would flash an image up. So you would still see like an image. So you could kind of make it work in that way. So they, were, they kind of found ways around podcasting because vodcasting wasn't really a thing and managed to show ways to like, show this awesome merchandise off and show what they were doing in a visual format, despite the fact that they are an audible podcast. The benefit of audio is also, and I think this is a really cool thing with podcasting, is that generally with podcasting, because there's no visuals to distract, they're paying so much more attention to the audio. So as a result, you can go into detail about something, say, like a figure description or a merchandise description, and people will pay large amounts of attention to it and really absorb that information, absorb those words as it is the medium of the communication instead of just the visuals. So there's definitely ways, like even as a podcaster, if you're out there and you're like, I want a podcast and I want to do Koei Tecmo stuff, which maybe you do you never know it's something that is totally viable and totally doable if you have the passion for it and as long as you're able to articulate that passion in a good way and then show to someone like Koei Tecmo the passion that you have and show how you're doing it and show the numbers that you can get even if those numbers are small if the passion's correct and it's professional enough they might well give you stuff and help you grow which is a big thing with, with broadcasting as well if you're able to articulate well and present well or present your statistics well or present to companies well even if you're a smaller influencer there's a high chance they'll send you things because you're easy to work with and fun and that's really important for an influencer manager like they're going to work with influencers who are fun to work with easy to work with and get the job done results not necessarily as important sometimes important if money's on the table then yes important but for product well that's important. i know this is obviously very helpful to people that want to get into whether it's broadcasting whether it's youtube whether it's even podcasting because this is very important stuff a lot of people don't necessarily understand that this is what goes on behind the scenes it's not something that i personally talk about out in the open but i thought because you're here it would make sense to speak to someone who knows more about these things than I do it's um, very interesting in the sense because you do have a point there especially with those companies and the showing off your work as is as like a portfolio type thing I've noticed that you can have that happen and then there there are companies that will say no and I think that's also a part of you know broadcasting and streaming in general you will have companies that will say no and that is an okay thing like there's certain things that you can't necessarily avoid absolutely you can't just expect to get everything whenever i go to a company i don't necessarily be like oh man let, give me this it's gonna go well some companies just doesn't like when i work with certain companies they do say like we can't meet that request i'm like that's cool why don't we try this other thing then and i'll go to them with some kind of alternative or try and discover why maybe my numbers aren't good enough Maybe it's not a good time for them. Maybe they're releasing a new product soon and don't want to talk about the old product anymore. Maybe the product has become obsolete. There could be a billion and one reasons, and those reasons may not necessarily be related to you as to why. For example, if I've done various GPU sponsorships over the years, but there's always a time about three to six months before the new card comes out where they're not going to send me a card to talk about because the new one's coming out soon, and I just won't be able to do any content on cards because just... It's not possible. It's just, it's not a good marketing move for them. They want people to be buying the new card when it comes out and saving up for the new card. So it kind of varies. And there's, that's kind of stuff you also need to keep in mind. You, you can certainly get rejected and you will get rejected. Rejections happen as a broadcaster, you will get rejected. As a human in life, you will get rejected for things. 
it's just the case of recognizing why and, and going into that with an open mind and realizing that it may not necessarily be your fault. It may be a fault of the times or a fault of some other external factor. Uh, that being said, I think this has been a wonderful conversation that I've had with you today, Brad. Thank you for coming on. I really do appreciate it. Where can people find you? Sure thing. So if you want to find me in a broadcasting sense, twitch.tv slash blessrng, B-L-E-S-S-R-N-G. I'm the same on Twitter. I'm not the same on Instagram because I was too slow. Instagram.com slash blessrng. Again, but add two E's at the end. So B-L-E-S-S-R-N-G. R-N-G-E-E. -E. Still pronounced like bless RNG, just with two E's. Those are the best places to get a hold of what I do. Instagram for food, because I do a lot of cooking. Twitter for my travel content, I do a lot of traveling. And Twitch for whatever I feel like streaming at the time. Uh, whatever that may be. Hopefully Persona 5 Scramble when it comes out soon. Hopefully so. Um, finally, I noticed that you're gonna, you've done a couple of charity streams. I'm not sure if you want to shout them out here. Absolutely. So... For the sake of doing this for Timeless, I am raising money for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, a research hospital network based out of Memphis, Tennessee, that does a variety of things for increasing the survival rate of cancer in children all over the world. They get patents and then release those patents to the world for people to use for free. And if anybody has or any child does suffer cancer, they will take that child in, take in their families, house them, feed them, and do all the treatments so they don't have chemo anymore without that family ever paying a bill. It's really important for children and in turn adults all around the world as those children do become adults for institutions like St. Jude to continue to operate, but they are expected to operate as they do a majority of cancer research out there. You can find out more about them at just St. Jude, just search St. Jude, or you can go to my own stream and donate to St. Jude Play Live directly. If it's during one of my streams, it'll make me do weird things like eat really bad flavored jelly beans, or eat Vegemite, or like put weird hats on my head, all kinds of crazy stuff, um, all in the name of saving children out there, because all children deserve to have a full life wherever they can. And that's a, a policy and a institution I stand by very strongly. So if you can support them, please do. I feel that it is a noble cause to raise money for, honestly. One last thing I want to say about that. If you do reach your goal, I believe you'll be dyeing both your beard and your hair twitch purple. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. Uh, that's a, a long stretch goal of mine, but it, uh, and if... We're gonna go. We're gonna die on both, and then uh, if we get high enough, eventually I'll shave the beard off entirely. Part of me doesn't want to see that, but well, my, my hair is not up for grabs because the hair will take years to grow back. But the beard will come back in a couple months. That's fine. And when, when I was younger, when I was like an old goth kitty, um, I used to rock short hair and no beard. I looked very different. It was very interesting. I think I think people might want to see that, and I don't mind losing the beard and regrowing it. So probably need to shave it anyway. Well, it's, really, it's for a great cause. <laughs> so you know, I can't exactly. I can't fault you for that. Finally, I want to thank our sponsors, Crunchyroll, JList, and also Japan Crate. Links will be in the description of this episode. Remember, stay tuned for the podcast because next month in June, we're going to be focusing on a lot of Persona-esque content. So that's going to be interviews with voice actors, hopefully, if we can get them on board. Persona 5 content, as well as maybe some stuff regarding Philemon from uh, Persona 1 through to three because that's a very interesting thing uh, regardless make sure you go and subscribe on itunes and on spotify as well and um see you later guys bye